And we're back. We've ah, got, we got Dylan George to Just my left now. Fell through the ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, That's expensive and improbable. Yeah. How's it going? Uh, good. Yeah. Thought I'd <laughs> drop in. <laughs> Uh, You're just yeah. gonna do that in every podcast. Yeah, no, the now. the old man wheeze laugh is probably one of my favorites. Uh, Dylan's here because he hasn't read the book but has watched the movie. I have seen the movie, which offers a unique perspective of limited knowledge, which not too many people take advantage of nowadays. Yeah, oh, limited knowledge is the most leastly taken up knowledge anymore, unfortunately. It's an alternative perspective. You guys can't have not also read the book. I can look at this movie as just the film, so I can't not have what read the book all the time. What? I can't really. I Nicole can't. I can't follow. separate. I can't separate. Nicole, the two. when haven't you read this book? <laughs> uh, high school. All right. Okay. Well, now that that's settled. Yep. <laughs> All right. We are here to discuss Catch Twenty Two, the book, the movie. Uh, who the hell? What was? Someone here who actually knows movies. Directors, actors. Who okay, the hell, Mike Nichols. Mike about? Nichols is known for The Graduate. Um, Catch Twenty Two is much better. <laughs> uh, yes, it is. And uh, so this movie is a cavalcade of good casting. Mysterion's um, played by Alan Arkin. You've got Art Garfunkel. You've got Martin Balsam. You've got oh, ooh, ooh, movie trivia, movie trivia. Martin Balsam, who played uh, Al- Al- Albergast, yeah. Albergast in the in Psycho, Psycho, Albergast, Albergast, Albergast. Martin Balsam, actor. Now, Psycho noted for having the first movie with a toilet in it, and first American movie with a toilet in it. Really? Yes. Huh. Yeah. Catch Twenty Two, also with Martin Balsam, is noted for having being the first American movie showing it depicting a man on, on the a toilet. toilet. Nice. So he has a unique distinction in American cinema history and in color. Yes, indeed. Yeah. In full Orson Welles, who Orson Welles actually wanted to direct the movie but couldn't get the rights. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this movie also could have been directed by Kubrick, in which it would have been even darker. Yeah, I oh think. yeah. <laughs> Jesus. I don't even well, I think it would have just gotten darker about... faster. Because yeah. it does get very dark. No, it's okay. So we were talking about this right before we 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 uh, took a little break here to have you join the second half of this podcast. The book is filled with black humor that is really really funny, even though it is dark. Like you know, ultimately the movie's just dark. Yeah. Um, Lou, who also had not read the book but did see the movie, he had a hard time finding the black humor in the movie. He thought it was just pretty dark. Yeah, it's it's played. I don't know if it, it gets like the themes of you know the severity of things going on show themselves more later on. In the beginning, it's just kind of dry. I think it's played with a straight face, um, which is another complaint I have. The, I mean, I don't know movies very great. Um, guy from Psycho, what was his name? Anthony Perkins. Anthony Perkins Anthony also Perkins. in this movie. Yeah. He was the most expressive one, and I feel kind of like judgmental of having seen him in other stuff at all. Like, is it just smiling that makes okay, like as a, a person emote to me? What's like, funny is because he has a great smile. Yeah, so at, whenever he changes from that, I notice. As as a character, Tapman is probably the most like sympathetic or. Uh, not not sympathetic as a character, but I mean like the person that shows the most sympathy to other characters he's, in. He's empathetic. It's his yeah. job. Yeah, his yeah, job exactly. is empathy. Well, so. You know, whereas the other, you know, so he's like, 
one of the few characters that actually like has a lot of feelings to begin with. Yeah, you know, so it makes sense that jaded. he would be more expressive, yeah. where everyone else, to your extent, is very jaded. Yeah. By the time this this uh, the movie picks up, so maybe they're great actors, and I just can't tell. Well, and, no, but, and to round out the cast, Martin Sheen plays Dobbs, who is an amalgam of several characters in the yeah. book. Uh, Charles Grodin plays uh, Arfie. Uh, Bob Newhart plays Major, 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 Major. It's just, it's got a lot of good people in it. Um, but to, to your point, too, that um, the movie is not a comedy in that the people are, the actors are not trying to portray something as funny. Uh, what ha- The characters exist in a humorous world that is outside of the fact that it's not humorous to them. Mm-hmm. And in that sense, too, it's kind of difficult, too, because what is what you find hilarious especially of the initial idea where you get introduced to the concept of Catch-22 about, you know, the fact that, you know, uh, I'm, I must be crazy if I want to keep flying. And if I ask you to, if I do the same thing and ask you to ground me, you can't because it means I'm not crazy and I, you have to keep flying missions. Yeah, and, obviously yeah. you're you get, saying if you know to ask to be exactly. grounded. Just, because yeah. it would be Just crazy. as a caveat on the focus of this podcast so far, we went two hours without saying that. Yes, okay, so there's... <laughs> So we've done a good job, but like, but the, the the way that that reveals to you in in the film, like you said, it's not it's not done as a joke. Yeah, but it is. It's almost funny or humorous. Well, the way they rattle it off, like one to another, mm-hmm. sounds like um, the same styling as who's on first. Right. Like they're just rattling off, you know, the back. It's the back and forth that is kind of funny. Just the way they're saying it. Well, and, and how the, outrageous see, it is. And that's the thing. The book is so densely packed with that kind of who's on first dialogue yeah. transaction. Um, and the movie, I didn't think, like I said, I think like the movie feels more more dramatic and it doesn't kind of pick up on on as much of, of the, the dark it looks humor. Like it, yeah, even while watching it, it looked like it hopped in and touched on things that would have been expanded on. Because mm-hmm. Major Major's in it for like, what, two, three scenes? Yep. Yeah. I mean, Major Major himself doesn't show up all that much in the book, but his entire background, the reason he is that yeah, way he, is in the book. Yeah, well, no, no I mean, the book, it, this is this was going to be my problem going in, and I knew it was going to be an issue, is, I mean, in addition to loving the book too much for it to be turned efficiently into a movie for my taste, was that... It's too much book to be too, efficiently turned into a movie. I mean, we were talking about, there are literally dozens of characters that have fleshed out designs in the book, and there was no way they were going to pull that off. Oh, no, a, it was it was movie. an exercise of trying to put together something that would have been, you know, a plausible two hours. Mm. And, and then on top of that, they tried to, I mean, Kubrick would have probably made this even worse. There are things about movies that they try to emphasize in the movie, like their B-29 squadron. Um, I think the uh, there was a statistic cited somewhere that they those planes were all real in the movie, yeah. and yes. yeah. Yeah. it was technically the twelfth largest air force in the world at the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like um, on some strip in Mexico where they were shooting. Yeah, like yeah. the spectacle. The shots with the planes were incredible. No, they they had yeah. massive amounts of spectacle in this movie compared to what's in the book itself. Yeah. Well, that's why I feel like the movie is more of a war movie, mm-hmm. like than the book is a war book because you kind of like feel. Like, because more of the shot, more of the scenes are like action shots, like in the plane. Well, they got to get their money out of yeah, fucking yeah. and renting stuff like a bunch that. Of... Um, 
So it does it does have a, a different feel than the book. But as a movie, I do I do enjoy Catch Twenty Two yeah. as a movie. Well, I, go ahead. Dave. As a movie, it would have to move. And what I could detect from the film is that there is normally a lot of sitting around. And like what I know from the military, it's a lot of sitting around. Yeah. So books are for living, but movies need to move. You know. Well, I thought I I thought that it moved pretty well. Like the first, oh, it does. Yeah, the first it, it it moves too much because of yeah, that. Okay, because Dylan uh, <laughs> Davis says it moves too much, and but okay, I do just in the broader sense. You know, I've always been frustrated by that when people say, "Well, the you know the book's always better than the movie." That's bullshit. You just watch The Shining, and that'll prove you wrong on that front. So. You know, I don't always agree the fact that, you know, that, that you know, books contain more in them by the nature of what they are. They're a but, different medium. Yeah, but, you know, it's... Even is, the script for a film most times. Yeah, exactly. And it's just like that, I, I, for me, that I would have absolutely agreed from the outset that this, that this movie could never have achieved the scope of what the book covers. I mean, it is, like, the book is great, and the part of its greatness is its scope, is the fact that it is both... You know, has so much within it. It's a world. Yeah, no, it is. It is entirely well encased, and more importantly, in its own catch twenty two type sense, I think it's it's really, really encapsulated well. I mean, there's very little that is not included, or that that Heller, I don't think, con- considered and intentionally left out. I think he he maximalized the approach to the, his subject matter to a certain extent. Now, having said that, yeah, <laughs> having said that, I think that. Um, I look at this movie as almost being like a reading, right? It 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 knew it could never achieve what the book achieved, and so it asked itself, "What the hell do we want to emphasize, and what will we leave out, and why is that the case?" And I think that you know, in the end, for me, I think it answered those questions well, right? What it now we can disagree whether or not it chose the right things, but in terms of what it chose and how it executed it. I think the movie does a pretty damn good job of that. I felt that I felt that way right, too. Someone else I've yell at always me? I've always enjoyed this movie, but you know, when I when I look at movies that come from books, I try to look at them, you know, as as two separate entities. Like I really enjoy Catch-22 as a book and I do enjoy the movie, but obviously there's no way that you could encapsulate what makes Catch-22 so great as a book in a movie. It just wouldn't work. I I normally would agree. I mean, almost to the extent, almost an overextension of that, I tend to prefer movies to books. Yeah. Because most most plots make more sense in the shorter form of a movie. You can t- There's a reason movies are about two hours long, because that's, that's how long it takes to tell even a relatively sweeping story if it's told with any amount of economy. It's just that Catch-22, as we've already said, there's no... The plot of Catch-22 already doesn't lend itself to a movie because it's not linear (laughs) at all. But also, it's it's kind of absurd, too, in the sense that, you know... um you know, if you said like David as a subject matter for a paint, the or I should say maybe like the, um, uh, you know, sorry, not David, but like yeah, the, the I think the, I know what you yeah, mean. Yeah, David the Bible, yeah, not the, this David, well, even this David, even it'd be like saying that you know, oh, David is always better as a as a painting than a sculpture. You know, like it doesn't fucking make a certain amount of sense, right? The idea of the you have the subject matter with its meaning and themes, and then you have its representation in two forms of art that are both very you know drastically different from each yeah. other, and so. You know, it is kind of absurd, uh, you know, an apples to oranges comparison, but there's a, the essence of what makes them similar is the fact that they have seeds and skin and, you know, or fruit and sugar and what have you. I mean, it, we can get into the details of that, too, but I 
I think what is so cool about this movie is that it does a good job of world building. And I think what is difficult is that for people who've watched this, who've watched, who've read the book, this fucking I find this movie hilarious. Like I can, I like really really find this movie funny. And you know the like the 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 sequence of the watch with the moaning, the countdown mm-hmm. and the moaning when they find General Dreidel walks in with his. I, I was like crying when I saw that scene for the first time. Like and it was just something that had an incident in the book, but had realized it so perfectly. And once again, it is classically the most comedy-esque scene in that movie. I mean, did you guys not find that funny or interesting? Do Do you like Chevy Chase movies? Yes. Okay, that's why you like that scene. Then I what? hate Chevy Chase movies. What's wrong with Chevy Chase? I actually found I like that the scene cocaine kind of era, like Caddyshack, is what I'm referring to. Yeah, man. I don't like that Ty? either. No, I don't like I, that I, kind I, of goof. I don't know okay. if we can be friends anymore. Yeah, probably not. Yeah, I didn't. And that's going to do it for the. Oh, yeah, yeah, so and <laughs> the actual garbage, everything now. From... Um, I mean that that's the simplest yeah. sheer line. I don't like that style of humor. Yeah, the the. That's not my thing. Is it too self-aware? Is that too knowingly trying to be funny, or is it just... It's too drawn out. I, th- I thought that scene was needlessly long. I mean, funny enough, it's only a minute, and he counts it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, and even that, it it's just... I'm not sure I get it. That's uh, I said Chevy Chase specifically because I don't know I don't know what the right set of words is to use, but it's that kind of humor. It's the reaction shot. I mean, I guess it's the you know yeah, it's uh, that entire yeah. empire. A guy, of a guy sees a dame. Nothing about that's funny to me. Whole oh, body, oh my like there's gosh. no there's no way for them to interact that that's humorous to me. Being horny is like not something we can relate to about that. Like it's it's just, but you know, but no, but it's funny we. too. But like, well, but like you said, it's like it's too long. It's amazingly efficient. It's like it's I don't. It's it's strange that there's. It doesn't this, matter how efficient it is. It's not effective. Well, I well. For, okay, go ahead. for right. me, we're, we're talking fully well, Okay, so D- David right was now. kind of biased. I don't think he wanted to watch this anyways. Because the other thing we butted heads on too was you know see like. I find the movie funny because I have the book background on it, but I could see how it's not as funny if you don't have all the background. But one thing I always liked about the movie, because it got me like every time, is I thought that the Snowden reveal was really good because they set it up as a primary element. I mean, almost more so than it is in the book because it's so fleeting the moments they refer to, to Snowden, especially early on, where in the movie, I mean, they do keep going back to that, to that, Snowden scene and then at the end when they do finally have the reveal I like I always found that like it like that always hit me the way it needed to like yeah, I just, found it, it just effective. doesn't work for me something <sighs> about the way I, I think it's the I think it's specifically the angle although it may also be since we're already I guess we're already into a shooting match um, <laughs> I don't like Alan Arkin as Yossarian okay I agree on that I just <laughs> yeah. I don't think he does a good job right. with that character so that might have something to do with it. I'm I like. I think his voice is probably better than maybe his 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 look because yeah. I I picture Yosarian differently when I read the book. I don't picture the Alan Arkin character from the movie when I think about the book. Well, no, but actually, the no, voice guess... sticks with me. I think the voice is really good. Yeah. No, I think I know. Okay, the reason I don't, I'm I'm trying to think because the book, the scene in the book is like practically formative for me in the way that it it explicates a gruesome scene mm-hmm. revealing. And the thing is, the movie, the plane's like purgatory while it's happening. Yeah. Like, there's no sound. 
it's almost perfectly quiet aside from the dialogue. Well, and in the book, the way that it's emphasized, Yossarian thoughts are racing through his head in a way that it doesn't emphasize. And moreover, Yossarian's reaction in the book to um, his guts falling out is to scream, yeah. which he just doesn't. They just don't well, do. Well, he hasn't movie. bite. He hasn't bite his yeah, knuckles. He's, yeah, he, like he's gonna puke. I mean, because it's, it's funny that the, the the scene starts in silence, but then each reveal slowly, you know, slowly triggers us up into each kind of moment. So you get it. You see Snowden. He's cold. Okay, out. The next time he comes around, he's cold. He goes for the. He goes for the the. Um, the, the morphine and it's not yeah. there and it's Milo and then yeah. it moves into it and then but the final reveal where he pulls back the flak jacket and and realizes you know, the that he's been secret is revealed and he's been yeah. treating the wrong rune the whole time yeah. because he thinks he just has a leg wound he's like oh we wrapped it up you'll be good to go yeah. when we and land. then and then you know what happens is he doesn't scream but Nichols pumps up the sound of the of the of the planes to to where it deafens everything else out, everything else out and also I, with that actor. Him screaming isn't great. Yeah, because he's he's a little like overexpressive in other moments as well, and I think that might have called back some of that fact that you know, you know, him him screaming in other scenes is kind of, you know, a little bit it draws it back. I mean, it's once again, it's it's might have been might have been something because sometimes you do this where you think you have a good scene in the way they've acted it, but then when you look at it and you realize it doesn't work, I think he had to solve maybe a different problem, but. The fact that when that is revealed and you get this the the real sound of the of the engines coming in after that, I did I think that tries to achieve that effect to a certain degree. I because it get it, it, the scene starts silent but ends loudly. Yeah. Sure, but I I almost want to say maybe this is a problem of may, maybe this is an issue of cinematography not being up to it because I mean to some extent when I imagine that scene in my head, there's some degree of born shaky cam in that. Like yeah. it's like it just doesn't feel chaotic enough. Well, to me. I think I think that's more of a modern thing where we no, try I know. to. Well, but it's it was impossible well, at the time. It, it you also, couldn't shake a camera like that. Yeah. Well, and it, it also and some of these are cinematic issues. So the sound I do want to come back because this thing this movie does some weird things with sound. But even in that, the first couple of times, especially when they have the the Snowden. It's almost like flashback because it's it's like after he gets injured or after he's in the hospital and he's mm-hmm. almost so they anytime almost, he loses consciousness in the story he, yeah, yeah it comes back so to they that. almost present it in a very dreamlike state so it's not a very realistic setting yeah like no you it's said. that's it's it's purgatorial. you know even even the white yeah even like the white haziness around the whole screen it is it's it's very it's, like uh it's very like dreamy. I think it was, I mean, I think it was deliberate, it don't get me been, wrong, yeah. I just don't think that version, I don't think right. that telling of what happens is nearly as effective. Okay. That's that's my problem with it. I, I think I understand the role that it played. It tried to take the concept of adrenaline and the focus that you achieve, like, when you are, when something, when shit hits the fan, like, say you see a car crash, suddenly things fade out, it becomes an intimate relationship between you and the incident. And in that sh- shot, there is no sky, there is no outside, there's barely a plane, because the only thing, or the key things that Yossarian is acting through are the only things in the scene. Moving his way around the interior of the plane, Snowden, a box, like, it's very clean cut in what he's trying to do to help, and everything else kind of blocks out. And I'm sure his mind is racing, and because of that, 
everything else kind of goes away. And the way that they do panic in modern day is put a calm person in a chaotic scene, which is how you would be as an onlooker. But they call back to Snowden and Usarian in, you know, his intimate relationship with, you know, he's my best friend and I never knew the guy. And to show that intimacy, it has to be a calm scene, like fueled by adrenaline. And I think that the film accomplished a decent job at that. No, again, I yeah. just don't. That, that's not yeah. the way that I yeah, saw that. So if it's not, not your head, yeah, I mean, yeah. that's, that's not how it's going to work. I mean, you have an impression of it already, so putting anything on top of that is probably. Well, eh. No, I, I'm, I'm so okay. That was with, my first impression. So I mean, that that's the thing. I just don't. There's. I don't know if there's a way they could have shot that that would have been better than the other way. Because otherwise, it just doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't feel as impactful. But then again, the movie is two hours, so it depends on how much it needed to matter. And that's another thing we probably hit in this, is how much, I mean, Dylan, part of the reason you're here is for this purpose. It almost feels like reading the book is a necessity to understand half of what's going on in that movie. I on a on a I rewatched the movie last night and I picked up on a few points in which I thought that that clearly the writers depended too heavily on knowing the backstory without providing someone who hadn't read the book enough especially with that first scene where they start doing weird things with sound. Now one thing with this movie, there's no original score. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you think about it, you're like, yeah, you're right, because they do not use, they do use a couple of classical pieces uh, in a couple of scenes, but, I mean, there's, like, either the sounds of engines going in the background, or it is, like, dead silent, mm-hmm. and sometimes, like, in the opening scene, the planes are going, and when they leave, the whole scene becomes dead silent. Yeah, yeah. it's awesome. Um, I, uh, and now I, I do actually have a bone to pick with that very first scene because the very first scene starts fairly close to where the book ends with the odious deal between yes. Yosarian and Colonel Korn. And when you have the subtitles on, you can see the extent of the dialogue, and the dialogue is very important. And someone who has read the book knows about this deal and they know what's going on but if you don't watch the movie with subtitles and you have not read the book the sounds of the plane drowned out completely all of the dialogue which is odd because that dialogue is so important to the context of the scene okay i'm gonna side with what ryan's about to say ryan take it away yeah because the thing is is that he's they want to set up this idea of a deal between these people as it's revealed you get you you start off at the very end and it is it is an it is an intentional fucking decision by mike nichols to not allow you to know what the dialogue is regardless of which we see the main character making a deal with people who we slowly reveal to be the actual villains of the piece as well. Yep. And it kind of sets you up, for those who hasn't, haven't seen the novel, of kind of questioning or understanding exactly the dramatic import of the moment we've just witnessed. Yep. And it's... that I was really... I mean, if, if I had a, an argument against subtitles, that would have been fucking No, no, no. Why I, the fuck those subtitles did no, that? No, I, think well, that was, I think that was a mistake. No, oh. that's what I mean. That's why... This, I, I'm I just think, saying there's a peculiarity about that scene that doesn't sit right with me, and part of it is because why would you be able to read that dialogue in the subtitles if they didn't want you to hear it? And if they did want you to hear it, why would they put... Like, there's an inconsistency there that I, I think is I a think little I think there was goofy. a logistical mistake. Yeah. I think some, I think whoever did the subtitles read the script. Score one so, for Ryan against subtitles. So new. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, no, no. That's... I, I mean, 
we could. It was just it was fun. This argument. No, 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 no. We there was there was one other point I wanted to bring to it though. It was just it was massively ironic that this movie had this problem right after we had it. Right after we had it because the thing, the reason I like having subtitles on, is that as the bystander, I am the only person who is involved in this movie who doesn't know what everyone says. Mm -hmm. And the problem is that uh, while it is true that it makes sense to have some incoherent dialogue or mumbling or, you know, the director may deliberately make things sound a little slurry or not quite as clear at any given time, there is an actual psychological bias that the director is bringing to those scenes because they know what is being said. This is immediately apparent if you watch Lord of the Rings. Turn the subtitles on when Gandalf is talking because you don't know what he's saying. (laughs) Um, Ian McKellen is slurring a lot more of those words than it sounds like. Just do that as an experiment. Nine-hour experiment. It's just yeah, no, it's just bizarre. Just like just scenes, just kind of not the know, first. Yeah. No, the first time I watched Fellowship of the Ring, it was like it, it. First time I watched it with subtitles on, it's like it added half of his dialogue back <laughs> to the scenes. Like I could not tell what he was saying. Granted, if I had read the book, maybe I'd know. But you know, you know everything that he ever said. Yeah. No, that was just. It was just a funny point. That, that happened immediately well, after. Our yeah, there was, and, and rewatching it, I did. I was like, there was like some peculiarness with with that that didn't really set s- mm. sit right with Again, me. Again, subtitles have to be done well. <laughs> like that's possible. <laughs> so I've got um, got a couple other things that I really liked about this movie, just as a film. If we want to talk about just its filmic quality, you don't have to couch it, man. I'm done. I'm mostly done griping with it. Oh no, no, no. I just because I, especially too, one of the things I want to talk about is the. Is the fact that you know it kind of tries it, that it tries to adopt the 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 um, scattered timeline of storytelling within it? I thought it did that fairly well. Well, and the and the way that it links scenes together, because there's a problem in filmmaking generally where uh, if you want to edit two scenes or, or multiple scenes together, you know you try to find a common theme that can kind of link them together, right? In the way that storytellers kind of move to. Cuts are usually designed to say things like, and then this happened, or meanwhile, or yes. but, and then you kind of move on with the storytelling. But you know, there's some really great scenes where, you know, like, for example, one of my favorite cuts is when Cathcart and Corn are trying to figure out what to do with Yosarian, and they're like, well, what would General Dreedle do? And they're like, he'd crush him. He'd smush up like a bug, kick him in the balls, and then immediately it's a scene of Nurse Duckett kicking Yosarian in the balls <laughs> as he's trying to get into her pants, you know. And it like then we're into that scene moving forward, and that's that's right, and that's that I don't believe that is precisely in the book, but that's absolutely in the spirit of the book. The book exactly. constantly does those transitions. Yes, absolutely. Well, that's I, yeah, and I felt because of the the. I felt like it handled those transitions well, just like, you know, they they revisit the Snowden situation every time Yossarian, like, goes unconscious or takes a blow to the head or Which something. Which is frequent. Like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's what I mean, but, you know, it, it I thought that it, it worked as a transitional device, and it did keep with some of the spirit of the book in its non-chronological, you know, yeah. uh, you know, uh, Storytelling, yeah. Storytelling, yeah. The way it yeah. tells a story. <laughs> but it, um, but I, so I really, I, I thought that was really clever. And then finally, I mean, this movie is shot in almost a virtuosic manner. I mean, for one thing, the, the opening scene of the discussion between Danica and, and Yossarian is almost one shot. In fact, it's one of the longest shots 
in cinema history that happens through these th- that that happens in these films. In fact, I think this, up until that point, it was yeah one of the, the, lo- the longest. longest uncut scene. And you got to imagine that these are actual planes being coordinated and moving around. Yeah. You've got to walk under them. You've got to have the shadows come up in between them. I mean, the 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 way these things are put together is really, they, really, really. They also awesome. it took six months to shoot this movie because they could only shoot between two and three p.m. to get the light perfect throughout the course of the movie. <laughs> so, I mean, as a cinematic feat, I I think the movie, like the look and the feel, and I I I think you know the work with the planes and stuff, and just. I mean, you feel how dangerous those fucking things are when they're taking <laughs> oh off. Like, God. they're shaking. They're barely getting yeah. off the ground. I mean, they look like death traps. Yeah, the director of photography definitely did a really good job. Because even when they do take off, having all of the planes, like, shaking on the left with this yeah. tall, dark pillar in the shadow, like, it... It, the movie looks good. Like you oh, can yeah. totally yeah. understand why why Yosarian does not want to be in one of those shaky death boxes. Well, <laughs> but the way that it kind of reveals too, which is that you know the, a lot of times what happens in the in the world itself is 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 pro- is projected very very well. Um, when you see the planes take off for one of their missions, and then you see them turn right, and as they go off out of camera, they fly past the like observation deck or wherever yeah. the general is, and then you see them, and then they begin to come down the stairs, and then out of the blue sky of the left side of the screen, suddenly you see a hand come up with an egg. And this egg kind of comes in, and Colonel Cathcart, Colonel Corn, why don't you hang back back there? And, of course... And I know it's I know you uh, there's a gripe which is that this is the introduction of Milo and of course it all begins with an egg which once again not is is not the actual way it happens in the book but you know as its own kind of symbolic idea I mean it is kind of cool that this is the genesis point of you know Milo's career which is this egg that gets brought into the camera uh, and those staged scenes I mean there are some that are very very famous um, the one uh, of Yosarian in bed where he first meets Chaplain Tapman and he see, you have the, the, the peach behind his head, you have Yossarian's face in profile, you have the background of the, I mean, it's almost like a Renaissance painting and the, the colors used is orange with the tans and the whites and it's very, very staged effectively. My other favorite scene, if I can just tangent on here for a little bit longer, <laughs> is the is Snowden's funeral with the row of, of rifles and then the, the row of men and then the tree in the background, which of course gets slowly revealed that, the na- that a naked Yosarian is in the tree, and once again, if you don't know what you're looking for, like that review, I mean, that, and it's oh, good because Cha- Chaplain Tapman doesn't know what he's looking at because yeah. he, yeah, like, he almost he yeah. almost thinks that he's having like a religious experience <laughs> yes. by seeing this man in the tree, even though it's just Yosarian. Did you, Dylan? Did you get that out of the movie? Because that's that's explicated in the book, and that feels like something that wouldn't come across just watching it. I noticed it in retrospect. Like I thought about that scene. Mm-hmm. Um. The one that always uh, stood out the strongest to me was um, Yossarian going through the town at night during, like, Milo's military yes. Yeah. Yes. brigade. Uh, that scene struck out as being incredibly powerful. Mm. Um, the tree scene as well, and the aforementioned scene with the planes taking off. Right. Yeah. I mean, to go back to Milo for half a second, my problem with Milo is... In this thing is I, not even necessarily right. how John Voight, actor John Voight, yes. John Voight, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, father to Angelina Jolie, Jolie yeah. for you young people <laughs> yeah. that don't know who he is, who haven't watched Mission Impossible, shame yeah. on you. But um, <laughs> we'll get there. Um, no, the uh, my problem with Milo is that most of what makes Milo so menacing is that his beginnings are so humble, and it just 
turns too fast. Like, the movie just doesn't have enough time to make it seem like Milo There's ambled, no his, <laughs> ambled his way into this. Like, yeah, you kind of wake up and, he, oh, right, this paid off somehow. What the fuck? Yeah, it's way too fast. I, well, and they also, well, and with the Milo thing, I mean, they, I think they, because they even took it a little bit further than the book does. I mean, they really... Yeah, I, I had argued previously that, you know, they make an explicit connection as he's as he's rumbling through this, the crowds oh, of oh, people like, with, standing on the... Very on it, fascist image. Yeah, yes. exactly. Like, <laughs> well, no, I can believe that being in the book, but again, it has to be couched in the fact that, like we said, well, saying, the but narrator... But the movie moves real fast yeah, it, with, it with makes that. It, it makes it all the way to that, but I can imagine the Milo in the book doing things like that, but in the book, they're couched in the fact that Milo gets to reason around why he's behaving that way in a way the movie just doesn't. Yeah, he yeah. comes off as a kook for the first 70% of his scenes. <laughs> like, well, that the, the good scene is on the beach when they have all those statues, and he's yeah. just walking around, like, putting yeah. arms on them, and then he... It, it's a, it's such a cool scene, because as he, as he bounds his way through, just marking these, what should we consider to be, like, antiques, something that you'd consider, you know, priceless yeah. in, um, in, their, in, their anti- in, their, in their cultural heritage. He's just marking his his own M on these statues and then the end scene where he's just explaining himself walking away and then he just hops on a truck and it just zoops him off to the rest of, to, the, to the next place he's going to exchange stuff it's just a you know he just has this like like you said just it's it's a nonchalance kind of control which then mm. all of a sudden is like this menacing fascistic Eminem well, that's what I, that, I kind of felt like that because it's like by the when you get to the end you're like god like how how the hell did this happen in the book? Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, and I mean, in the the book you get a little more well, background. How because, it all came together. But that's really. what I mean. You're like, how 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 yeah. did we get this far with this? Right. You know, yeah. like how did Milo all of a sudden yeah, become Milo's, the oppressive fascist regime that we're all fighting against? I mean, Milo's a force at the beginning of the movie. Like mm-hmm. he's already yeah. he's already un- massively swaying the people above him right off the yeah. bat. Yeah. The weird authority he shows through, you know, taking parachutes. He's taking, you know, things that are important that don't that Well, are... he's taking them because they're important to him, but he doesn't give any credence to the fact that they're important to the people they belong to. Yeah. As well. <laughs> I yeah. mean that and that's where the underlying authoritarian uh concept could be like kind of seated. He is Totally unempathetic. Yeah, he is. I not, mean, that's in the he's, book. Yeah, he was so frustrated that someone didn't across. shoot him. Like it almost ruins the movie for him. Well, but that's yeah. the thing in the movie. In the movie, because they don't have time, and they don't really even have a method of explaining why yeah. everything Milo's doing is okay. He just comes across it, as a monster. He does come across as purely a monster by the end of it. Yeah, yeah and that's once again, I think they're 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 taking their uh, their end reading of what Milo becomes at the end of the book, and then just gives you their conclusion without the argument. Yeah. Well, they're and applying think, it from the get go. Yeah, they, yeah, it's 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 subtle, but it doesn't like you said, it doesn't do it well. But once again, I think that you know they have to because because uh, Colonel Corn is played by a guy named Buck Henry, and Buck Henry has a, a, a fairly interesting history in Hollywood. Um, and he actually writes, uh, wrote the adapted screenplay. The guy who plays Colonel Corn actually mm. uh, actually helps write the screenplay. And so he's the one that gave him the cigarette holder. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, Cathcart cigarette holder. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and they 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 mix they mix things around. Um, you know that because once again, you couldn't show that it becomes this like you know symbolic idea of you know how adroitly he handles this cigarette holder. Like Cathcart does it to make himself look good and such. Well, no, I see, but that's. Uh, Yes. They could have done that. They could have it, fucking done that because he knows that there is a thing where Dreedle likes mm-hmm. it 
and Peckham doesn't. Granted, Peckham doesn't show up, but they could have absolutely had a thing yep. where Cathcart either does or does not have it, depending on which way the general's looking. Right. Like an absolute, like, there, there's a way they could have done that. But they just, I mean, Corn has it, so it's not... It was a non-issue. Yeah. Well, and also, too, that so much of the details they tried to focus on were, I think, this the idea of the look and the staged feel of the of the of it. They they wanted to put this film together in a way that wasn't realistic. And I think that to you know, in this in the decision of having to build a world on which Catch Twenty Two exists, I think they overemphasized the visual aspect more than perhaps the you know larger degrees or, or the synthesis of storytelling too. Because oh, it's all it's spectacle. Yeah, exactly. Pronounced and and uh, to a certain extent, that almost endears it a little bit more to me because of that fact. I think that you know it is so good. It is such good filmmaking that you know it's it's partly why I, probably I have to like I have to give anything. them props for tackling it too. Just I mean, oh, it's fucking audacious. Yeah, like, it I'm is. Make a movie that's, Catch that's what I like, mean. Like it, it it's a ballsy move. The cast know? is pretty audacious <laughs> as well. One of the scenes. Okay, so what did you guys think about? Um, the I guess in the movie it's Hungry Joe, but when they slice Hungry Joe in half with the plane, yeah. I when thought Mick that kills him. yeah, when yeah. Mingwak kills him, I thought that was that was a pretty good, like I, I liked the whole the whole setup of of as, that. As somebody who doesn't catch on to names right away, the beginning of the film is very confusing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't remember who McWatt or well, it's okay. so Hungry it's the Joe scene like where... look like because I just haven't associated the name as strictly to faces yet. Yeah, well, well it's okay, and they a lot of people get killed off, so it's hard to remember all of them. And anyways. or looks. The, who's the actor who plays Orr? Um, Bob Balaban. He yeah. looks just like Garfunkel, and I switch them in my head constantly throughout the film. <laughs> yeah, I, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. I, I can see how, how that would be a little I mean, the, the thing, it was kind of a strange artistic license to take to make Hungry Joe the guy out there instead of, I mean, does, I mean, I guess Dobbs comes back up. I don't no, know. Dobbs was, didn't get cut in half. Um, yeah, who was the guy who gets cut in half oh, in the book? Geez. I don't think I added him to my list here. Anyways, regardless, I, I it just, just seemed weird to change it at all, given that Hungry Joe basically doesn't matter in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then the guy that got cut in half wasn't a huge. He was just no. Like he was a minor character. He, minor was the, character. he was there to get cut in half. Yeah. yeah. Mm. I do, but I, I do like I like I was like that whole dogs? scene because they're you know they're coming in with the plane really low mm-hmm. and he's just like you son of a bitch he does this to me all the time and and you're like. He's out there waving yeah. and dancing around, and then it's just like, whoop, yeah. and then there's just legs. Yeah, and uh, I, I I do like that, and then and then the plane goes and flies well, into the the mountain. Well, and then you get the best best because Towser comes up with the manifest, and he's yeah. like, Doc's on there. That's, Why doesn't he jump? That part was hilarious. Oh God Almighty! Yes, that's what I mean. Yeah. I, I jump, like Doc jump, and then the Doc jump. I'm right jump. here. Yeah, I'm right here, Sergeant. Poor Hungry they, Joe. They yeah. did a very good job, even though they yeah, the, they had to make Dr. Nika the guy who does the uh, the scene. Uh, mm-hmm. Yosarian pretending to be the other guy that the New Yorkers come over to watch die. Yeah. Yes. That worked yeah. pretty, yeah. well. pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. Something about that uh, uh, Hungry Joe getting cut in half scene was really surreal. That's I didn't, what I, I... I didn't catch on that um, they were, like, fooling around at first. Because it just looked dangerous to me. Yeah. Um, so then when that happened, I wasn't sure, like, is it, has he actually gone crazy? Because then he just dive bombs into a mountain. Like, it it was more dark than funny. Yes. And the way Usarian reacts, and I think that's on part of, like, how he 
he's so just straight faced all the time. I couldn't really read the the attitude of the situation or him towards McWatt flying. Right. Like I wasn't able to judge that right away, well, I, I, and it wasn't until Doc came in that I was like, "Oh, this is a funny scene." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it took me a bit, and I. There's something about Usarian, the guy who plays Usarian, I just don't... Drives you crazy. Yeah, it just drives me nuts. Oh, man. He's... Something about a straight-faced man just yelling, like, really loud, which he does occasionally throughout the film to show outrage. I think he bulges his eyes once, and that's, like, the most expressive he gets. <laughs> yeah, it's... it's. I found it super distracting, the whole film. Oh, good stuff. <laughs> I like Alan Arkin. He's in that Little Miss Sunshine movie. Have you seen that? No. Oh, he's fucking hilarious in that movie. He's really good. I want to know if, like, they just had him do that for this film, or if that's just how he is. I guess I'd need to see another movie with him in it. Oh, yeah, Bugman. Alan Arkin, yeah. Yeah. He's the heroin grandpa in The Little Miss Sunshine. (laughs) Oh, man, the young stuff. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you're not talking to people. You don't ever get a chance. Oh, God damn it. So, so I think I think we found a movie that was uh, we, got, we got some mixed reviews here. Excellent, usually, excellent. Mm-hmm. Usually we all. Well, I mean, I know you weren't thrilled with my her pick, but um, I think this is the I'm most. Here. I think this is the most divided we've really <laughs> been on excellent. on a film pick yet. So what's um what's on the docket for our next? It's David's pick, isn't it? Is it? Oh, yeah, I man. Would, oh, well, would this have is to weird. This it. was kind of like a dual effort because David picked the book and I picked oh, the, who, the yeah. movie in conjunction with. I, uh, I'd have to give it half a star. Ooh. I enjoyed it, but would not recommend it oh. uh, because clearly mm. the book matters. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and um, even on a movie like the merit of the movie on its own, I don't know that I know people who would enjoy it having not read the book. Also, I thought the cast was more fun than good. There were a handful of very choice picks. Uh, the guy who plays Cathcart was perfect. Anthony Perfin- Perkins was, was perfect awesome. as the chaplain. Like, a handful of them were very, very well cast. Dreedle works. Yeah, yeah. Dreedle works. Or- Orson Welles does a good what general dress. What the hell do I care? <laughs> he wants to receive his metal naked? What the hell does Oh, and yours? actually, the one... Take him out back and shoot him. Yeah. <laughs> what uh, do you mean I can't do that? Yeah. And if I did need to give points for artistic license, I think their interpretation of Major Danby is great. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I thought Danby came across pretty, pretty good. Just the, the overly cheery... <laughs> Well, he's trying. He really, he really wants. I mean, he really wants ah. to succeed, even though like <laughs> it, the stuff doesn't make sense to him either. But he's really putting his best foot forward. And I don't want to say where we're going because the enemy is probably listening right now. <laughs> it's the stupidest goddamn. Thing ever. <laughs> yeah, he, he was cast as somebody who wakes up, looks in the mirror, and goes. Today you're gonna have a great day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> He's really trying to stay positive yeah. all the time. Oh, shit. Yeah, no, I, I, but I, not I, in like a dark, cynical way, like a genuine. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And that that is a reinterpretation from the book, but I like it a lot. Um, so yeah, there's that. But uh, no, I can't. Uh, I can't recommend this book for people like me or movie. movie. Yeah, Absolutely. I can recommend the shit out of the book. But Which is funny because there's so few books you'd recommend, anyways. Yeah, oh. <laughs> no, it's it's part of that list. I think I've finally, as far as fiction goes, now that I've read the uh, the Devin Lee series, I can't count the number of fiction novels that I've read on my fingers. Excellent. Wow. Um, but but yeah, all the way through. I've tried. I, this is an exper- Fiction is an experiment that I try on a monthly basis. And it just does not 
just doesn't. Like you mentioned Slaughterhouse Five. I've tried to read that twice. Okay, I have I have a weird I have a weird side note. So now uh, is I can't read Slaughterhouse Five because it gives me horrible death anxiety. <laughs> but then while I'm listening to this, I while I was listening to this Catch Twenty Two again and revisiting it, I could not for the life of me understand why Slaughterhouse Five would give me such bad death anxiety, but I can get through this one. Yeah. Because this one is, I mean, it, it, it deals with the same kind of, you know, dark issues, too. But for some reason, like, this one I can get through. I cannot get through Slaughterhouse-5. It is laden with just, you know, death looming. And tragedy. Yeah, yeah just tragic death just, everywhere. Yeah. No, the, the, it's a fight for survival. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, oh, no. The, well, I mean, it's it's no matter how hard we fight, it gets worse. Yeah, is the whole thing going through Catch Twenty Two? And it's and and the and it's and it's irrational at that. Yeah. So you can't rationalize your way out of it. So I mean, yeah, it is a, still have to fly those goddamn missions. No, the the reaction to the horror in Slaughterhouse Five, the the, the idea of so it goes, is just it's. It's you. It's a really, really tough way to kind of, and it's. And I think it's. It's shocking and and really depressing, the the reaction that he has to it. That it just is part of this. That because it, it would be horrible to think that the death and destruction is part of the overall fabric that we're just moving across on. Like that. It, it's it's welded in. It's 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 woven into the experience of humanity or even of existence as well. And that's a terrifyingly depressing notion. Whereas Catch Twenty Two at least has some element that you can that you can or out of this situation. You know that that there is an escape somehow, somewhere, some way. You just no have, matter how dumb it is. Well, yeah, or exactly. you just have to adjust your values. Like when um when you in the book when Yosarian is sleeping with Shai Shaiskov's wife. Yeah. They both they they're both atheists, but Yosarian sees God as like somebody who just doesn't give a fuck. Where Shaiskov's wife sees God as like a loving, tender, like if he warm. Existed. If he existed, yeah. they both have totally they both had totally different perceptions of the God they didn't believe in. Yes, yeah. which you know adjusted their ability to maneuver through the world. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's that's a very. <laughs> It's a very Catholic atheist versus Protestant atheist. Yeah. Well, then once again, but you know, Billy Pilgrim is, I think, more of a Calvinist atheist yeah. than anything else. You know, it, it has happened, it will happen, and there's nothing that we could do to escape it. Yeah. So Slaughterhouse um, Five, I couldn't do. Oh, I. I tried. I gave it the good college try like twice, and I had the same reaction both yeah. times. I mean, I like crying through a book, and that book really helps. It helps me do that. Mm. So Ryan, what? Uh, your thoughts on the movie Final Thoughts? Okay, I think you got to watch this movie for the filmmaking experience. Once again, we can debate, or you might disagree, that I think it does a good job interpreting the facets of the fil- of the book that it chooses to take on. You're wrong. I know. <laughs> uh, but the but the other good thing is is that as an exercise in filmmaking, man, is it the look of this thing is awesome. The the uh, the the decisions of how to edit this thing together I think is really well done. The casting is is really spot on, apart from a couple missteps, which I'll, you know we can argue about. Uh, one star, would recommend. <laughs> Nicole? Okay. Uh, yes, this is a movie I, I, just like Ryan, I enjoy this. It's, um... I don't know. I've always enjoyed. I've always enjoyed this movie. I, I like the Snowden reveal. I think it works. I like how... N- I like how they take Milo's character maybe probably farther than the book did. I I like the casting. I like 
like it, it looks good. It's shot beautifully. It's my favorite Mike Nichols film. Yeah. <laughs> and he has a, a fairly good repertoire of films. Well, yeah, as I mean, well. this is this this is probably his least like the movie he's least known for. Like all of his other stuff was very was much more famous at the time. Like I said, The Graduate, mm -hmm. which is, you know, like top 100 movies of all time. Mm -hmm. I think it's better than that. Yeah. I'm going to change my uh, score. I'm going to round it up to 1 star. Ooh. Uh yeah, thinking about the actual like visuals of the film and what it took to make this film, even though I, it it feels apparent that something is missing, even while watching mm -hmm. the film, having not read the book, right, it felt like there was some you know depth that was missing that right. film you know can't always take with it, uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna let that slide right. as you know how the medium has to work. And when I think of it as a film, like it accomplishes all of its goals and looks good doing it. Right. Fuck that. No stars. And that's going to do it for. <laughs> oh, and, and you know, and, and for the books, as we have, just read fucking Catch 22. It's like one of the best things written in English in the last ish. hundred years. Yeah. You know, mm. it's not, worth it. Not and by extension, ever. Yeah. And yeah, not including the Bible, of course. Well, because like, there hasn't been anything good that hasn't been written in English. And there's nothing good that's written in the Bible. Boom! Sick burn. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah, I don't have a pick because I forgot that it was my week. So I'll edit that into the podcast at the end. Speed racing. No, we're not doing Fuck. it. Not yet. He's not yet. Back. I keep bugging him every week. We don't. Dude. No, we don't. Can have... we just watch it then? I mean, yeah. yeah. But, <laughs> not, not yet. We gotta wait. Oh man, it's been a whirlwind. This one. Oh uh, yeah, gents. It's been six years. Since we started this podcast. Yeah. That's going to do it. Dylan, Nicole, Ryan. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thanks, everybody, for listening. <laughs>